Fully Loaded. Big Boys Neighborhood. Today's Fully Loaded interview is with Jay Prince. Somebody with some sense have to speak sometimes when you see a Biggie and a Tupac situation brawling mm-hmm. all over again. You know what I mean? Because when you cross those lines, that's where it goes. Fully loaded. Turn it off. All the interview and zero interruptions. Take a listen. Take a listen. Big Boys Big Neighborhood. Boy. All righty now. It is a pleasure to have this man in the neighborhood, ladies and gentlemen. That is Jay Prince. How you Woo! doing, Jay Prince? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, we here, man. Welcome to the neighborhood, bro. Hey, man. Good to be here. I waited a lifetime for this one, man. You know what I'm saying? This is not only going to be an interview. But we gonna this is damn near gonna be like a Jay Prince talks, hey. you know what I'm saying? Not a Ted talks, but a Prince talks, and we're gonna be taking notes. And by the time you leave out of here, man, we're gonna look at this in a time capsule. And next year, I'm pretty sure all of us will be doing better. If not all of them, I know I will because I'm paying attention. All righty. First off, we got to talk about man. Just why why put your story into a book? Why why share the art and science of respect? Well, you know, everywhere I go, you know, I get the question, you know, how you done this? How you accomplished this? When, what, where, how? So, you know, I felt that uh, perfect timing to put it in a book, share my wisdom, my knowledge, my understanding for those uh, who want to know. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't want to cross over to the other side with all of this information. Yeah. yeah, man, wisdom, hell yeah. yeah. And I'm pretty sure, Jay Prince, that you've had this converse, these kind of conversations with so many either one-on-one or, you know what I'm saying? But you couldn't talk to everybody. So it is good to put it in a, in a book. Were you hesitant at first? Well, I'm still hesitant mm-hmm. to a certain extent, but I put all that I could. You know what I right. mean? Some things right. um, I say for the movie. I heard that. Will you do a movie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, when you when you sit down to actually write write a book, you know, and you do have a story to tell, who were you trying to reach? Well, first of all, I just wanted to reveal the truth. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and the story is my biography about me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm rooted to the extent where I reach those first where I'm from who can identify with me. So, you know, that's my foundation, the, the ghettos all around the world. Let me ask you, with, with you being in a position like for one, we know Jay Prince. We know the name. We know a lot of the accomplishments. Not not all of them. But you've never been like, oh, I got to do this show tomorrow. And I got to get on Big Boy in the Breakfast Club and Sway. And you know what I'm saying? You've never been that vocal. Is it now, not uncomfortable, but is it a, is it a different place where it's like, damn, I got to go. I put this book together, so now I got to go talk about it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I haven't talked so much in my life. Yeah, so just, <laughs> yeah man. You know, I, I always try to what I considered a quiet storm in the industry, but this is a different time. It's a different day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't mind talking about it right now. Would the book have been different 10 years ago? Well, of course, mm-hmm. because some of the things I speak about today hadn't existed 10 mm-hmm. years ago, so most definitely. Let me ask you this, man. Like, there, there's... There's a believe in yourself. And we always say, oh, you got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself. But there was a story in, in the book that kind of kicked it off for me. And then you, chapters later, it, it, it was a reveal. But as much as you can, the closet story. Yeah. Can you explain just yourself in your closet at your home and what you were going through at that time? Yeah. Uh, in that closet, you know, all of my um, life I've been a praying man, you know, as far as I can remember. And, uh, you know, when I hit the streets, you know, one of my prayers was 
God, before you take my freedom or take my life, give me a sign. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had gotten that sign you know, when I went to that closet. And basically it was a one-on-one conversation with me and God in that closet. I'm like, you know, I want to be blessed. You know, I want the same type of money, the same type of lifestyle. I'm speaking with, I'm speaking to God just like this. Right. You know what I mean? Because I know I'm at a turning point in my life. And now I'm thinking longevity. Mm-hmm. So it was in that closet where the transition took place from the streets to corporate America. Mm-hmm. And you already had things that the average person would have been satisfied with. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. The average person, but what I didn't have was peace. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and that I wanted. I wanted longevity. I wanted peace. You know what I mean? I wanted to be there for my family, my kids. So what did that mean, Jay Prince, when you say, I'm in this closet, I have, I'm having this conversation, and if you're talking with God, it's like, I'm ready to give it all up? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And uh, it was one of the hardest decisions I made in my life, you know, because you can imagine walking away from all the luxuries, all what you think mm-hmm. is what you wanted. But, uh, you know, my fate overcame all of that. Now, materialistically, what was it? Cars, <laughs> home? Yeah, cars, home, money, you know what I mean? All the things that we want in life. When you walk out the closet and you say, I'm done, what do you, what, what's your next step when you say, you know what, I had this conversation and I'm, I'm done? Well, my next step was... Because uh, I would have went back in the closet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was, well, oh, just kidding. Yeah, you don't know. No, my next step was to execute a plan. You know what I mean? I knew at that point I had to uh, apply that same hustle that I had been pl- applying in the street in corporate America. And that was a relentless hustle I had. So mm-hmm. I had to apply that to the music game. And so that was my next step. You know, I Had you been a part of the music game? Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. But from a distance. Mm-hmm. I was doing it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you know, I realized, I said, well, this is a million-dollar playing field, a music game. So why not apply my talents on a million-dollar playing field? But in the, in, in, in the book, you also said like, that rap is lame. You know what I'm saying? Like, what exactly did you mean by well, that? Well, what I meant was when I made that transition, I was amongst squares Mm -hmm. you know what i consider squares (laughs) at the time you know what i mean from coming from the jungle to civilization you know what i mean i consider them squares because Mm -hmm. of their mentality and where i had came from so that's the part that i meant by lane we we see now when we fast when we rewind we see how lucrative the music business can be you know not just cutthroat not that but we see it and one of this, one of the blueprints is rap a lot records. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people say, "Man, I want to own this. I want to do this. I want." But there was no rap a lot records that you could attach yourself to and say, "Man, I, I want to make sure that my my deal is right. I want to make sure that I represent the soil that I come from." You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we could look at you as a blueprint, but who was your blueprint? Was it like Motown? Was what was that blueprint for you? I think my blueprint was. Uh my street mentality, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And I feel like guys from the street are some of the most brilliant people in the Mm -hmm. world, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean, if they apply that hustle in corporate America. And, you know, it was that's all I could credit it to, you know what I mean? I was self-made there, you know what I mean? I had my own movement, and I wasn't trying to hear, you know, a lot of things from uh, the different CEOs about Mm -hmm. giving them 90 or 80 percent of my company the book is available for you man the art and science of respect and when we think about jay prince man respect is one one thing that 
a lot of people do have for you, man, and also the respect in your hustle. And I, I did want to speak about Rap-A-Lot Records. Now, putting together something called Rap-A-Lot Records, what was your what was your game plan for that? Well, <clears throat> in the beginning, my it was for my brother. Mm-hmm. My brother, his name was Sir Rap-A-Lot. Rap-a- yeah. So, you know, my thing was I didn't want my brother in the streets. You know what I mean? My brother was what I considered a square, mm-hmm. and I didn't <laughs> want him in the streets. So I'm like, hey, I'll support you in this rap thing. You know what I mean? I name it Rap-A-Lot. Go do your thing. You got my support. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, my brother ended up, you know, going to get like a 20-some-year sentence. And the other two guys was left, and, and I couldn't leave them stuck out. So, you know, I continued with them. Mm. So when you start to think, all right, I got something here, when when is there a turn? And I don't mean like ghetto boys, that turn. When do you think, all right, I got these members, who's not probably the members that everybody know from ghetto boys, what was the early Ghetto Boys and early Rap a Lot records? Well, well, the early Ghetto Boys was was Raheem and mm-hmm. Jukebox and my brother. Now the turning point came uh, when I made that transition and went to New York because I had moved the company yeah. to New York, and I went. You out thought there. that was the place it, it should be at that time? You and your that's what they thought. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> we gotta be in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what they thought. And after going to New York a couple of weeks. I then realized, I said, oh, y'all following New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had opportunity to spend time with Leo Cohen and all of those guys, you know, looking at uh, checks, LL Cool J checks, mm-hmm. Houdini checks, and, you know, I got stimulated and motivated. I'm like, okay, so y'all trying to follow somebody else. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to load this bus up and go back to Houston and be ourselves. And I say, what I want y'all to do at this point is I'm going to write these rhymes. I'm going to give you the stories. So where, Y'all when make you say rhyme. you were right. Oh, okay, so you were yeah. saying this is kind of my life. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Put this in yeah. bars or you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I realized that they were perpetrating. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to give y'all some good stories. Make them rhyme for me. And that's when we hit a brick wall because they told me, said, you too deep. And that's when I got rid of the old set of ghetto boys mm-hmm. and replaced them with Bushwick, Willie D, and Scarface. Man, now when we... Fast forward to a Bushwick, Willie D, and Scarface. When you kind of put that together, did you know that you were putting together something that was historical? Yeah, well, what I was looking for was I I had three different personalities, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? These guys didn't know one another, and uh, it was important to me to have, uh, like, images, different images and different personalities uh, for, for each member. And, uh, you know, Willie D, I had to, you know, I didn't, don't give a damn type of uh, mentality with Scarface. Uh, you know, he imitating the drug dealer Scarface, Bushwick, just a clown. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was a good, those good ingredients for me. How, to, how did you find or how did the relationship with Willie D start? Willie D was introduced to me from my barber mm-hmm. at the barbershop in Fifth Ward. Scarface, I walked up on Scarface. Uh, leaving a club one night, uh, a DJ by the name of Steve Funye, he was playing his music for him, and I just walked up on him, and, and I heard it, and I took him with me. I, we went ate breakfast at like 6 in the morning, and, and Bushwick, I met him in a club as well. Now, when we get to what we know, the, the early ghetto boys, and, and gripping on that other level, which, which was like 
I remember driving up to the Bay Area with a cassette, listening over and over and over. Like, when did you, for one, did you just want to make sure that you were good at home first in Houston? Or were you always saying, I need to get, I need to make this regional? I mean, not regional, I need to make this national and international. Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was targeting ghettos all over the world. Mm-hmm. That's why I named the group the Ghetto Boys, because I wanted to be a voice for ghettos all over the world. You know, Houston is probably, uh, they embraced us later on. Chicago mm-hmm. embraced our movement before anybody. So I was definitely, you know, targeting just ghettos all over the world. Did people think that it was too much? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Every major record label at the time, you know, uh, wouldn't even entertain an idea of embracing us. You know, New York booed us mm. when we performed out there in New York. So they wasn't ready for it. When you hear, like, Mind of a Lunatic or, you know, just, just and not even just the titles, you know what I'm saying? When you would go into, into the lyrics, but for some reason we kind of lean towards that. Yeah. You know? I mean, if you think about it, David Geffen uh, released Rick Rubin because of Assassin. Yeah. The song Assassin. When when in reality he was releasing, you know, all the heavy metal artists that was, you know, speaking even worse. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 But, but it's, and that's what I say all the time. If we, if we rapped what we saw in movies, like the Terminator be one of the most violent raps that you, that you would hear. Right. You know, but but we get looked at kind of a kind of a different way. But that puts you in a position where you start to get with the right people and you start to get the right ownership because you were never going to compromise what you felt you wanted the Ghetto Boys and Rap A Lot Records to be, correct? Yeah. No, I couldn't do that. Wasn't no compromising, uh, ne- uh, negotiating nowhere on the table where that was concerned. You know, I, I knew I had to keep ownership of my master's publishing. And from there, you know, I, I just wasn't trying to hear anything that compromised uh, that position. What were you trying to do early on when, because I'm pretty sure, you, like you said, it wasn't, it couldn't have been a lot of venues. It couldn't have been a lot of radio support. Did you ever think about bending just a little bit? Well, one of my things was, you know, I uh, didn't have radio, didn't have video, but what we had was publicity. Mm-hmm. And I had a lady uh, here named Phyllis Pollock. Uh, in L.A., we were able to create a lot of exciting moments, controversial moments that uh, helped us sell records. What do you think it would have been if social media was around back then? Oh, man, it would have been heaven. (laughs) (laughs) You know, whereas it took me six months to break up a record in a place, you know, the push of a button, the social media would have done it. Do do you yeah. still have a relationship with with the Ghetto Boys now? The ones that we do know with with Bushwick, with Scarface, Willie D. Yeah, yeah, I still have a relationship with them. Uh, not like it used to be, right? You know what I mean. I used to put them boys to sleep and wake them up. You know what I mean. The work ethic was that hard. You know, I I drove them from morning to night, but yeah, it's a different day now. You definitely can't say that we look at the success, but it definitely wasn't an overnight success. Oh, no, no, man. It was, I tell everybody, you know, and I speak about it in my book, you know, the music game is a game that will run the week off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas I thought, you know, I could do these things within a year or two. You know, eventually it took me like seven years before I started seeing a profit. When you think about seven years before you start seeing a profit, already walked away from being a guy that 
was in profit. Yeah. And you look at today now where it's SoundCloud or something, and you see cats say, man, I've been rapping for six months, yeah. and, and they got like eight on eight on Billboard. Yeah, they don't they don't know how how blessed they are. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and you know they should really cherish that moment. And 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 I think a lot of that happened from the the, the trailblazing that went on with me and many others. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? For them to uh, even be able to enjoy moments like this today. We were talking about uh, we can't be stopped. Now go and bring up the the album cover, Ghetto Boys, G E T O. Boys, why and and also why she's looking for that? Um, from ghetto G H E T T O to ghetto G E T O, why from from one project to the next that you guys did? Uh, was there a name change? Yeah, well, what we done was we done a deal with Rick Rubin at Deaf America, and right after the Ripping on the Other Level album, which we only put two new songs on the existing album, and it went gold. But, you know, that ghetto, G-E-T-O, was a name that we own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The other name belonged to. Right. Like know, anybody could say ghetto. Right, but when right. we think of ghetto boys, we go right to that spelling. Yeah, exactly. Now, when you went from, from one grip it to the next, you got, did you start to use Bushwick just a little bit more? <laughs> we probably did. You know what I mean? Because originally Bushwick... Uh, used to do a lot of performing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always told Bushwick, I said, you're more than a performer. And, uh, yeah, he started rapping a lot more. So we go into We Can't Be Stopped. Now, the album cover was, that was one of those things where America was like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. Now, leading up to that story, the album cover, what was going on? With with Bushwick now this 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 is the album cover and the album cover is Scarface and Willie D and Bushwick is on like a, uh, a, a hospital, hospital like bed Bernie yeah or... yeah and his eye is out yeah. yeah yeah and so just like a night the night before yeah he had gotten into an to an uh, an incident with his queen correct right right with his girlfriend I got a call I think like maybe four in the morning or something Bushwick. It just came in, and he was full of that Everclear. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got into it with his girl. And, you know, from what, I to- what I'm told is he wanted his girl to yeah. shoot him. She didn't want to shoot him. So he be- eventually Bushwick took the baby and hung the baby out the window, you know, trying to negotiate a shooting in his, eye- in his head or anywhere, you know. Eventually um, <clears throat> she reached for the baby. He had the gun, and some kind of way the gun went off and shot him in the eye. Yeah. So crazy. And you go wow. to the you go to the hospital. He his eye is pretty much damn near out of his head. Whose idea was it <laughs> to say go down there, take that band-aid off his eye and shoot the album cover? Yeah. You know, I remember going down there that night and we really I didn't know if the man was going to be or alive, you know, mm-hmm. from what I heard. But, you know, as we went in the room with Bushwick, me and some of the other members, we made it a we made a team decision. You know what I mean? We really meant we couldn't be stopped. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't be stopped. And that was a moment where we uh, you know, raw and uncut, we're gonna show the world we can't be stopped. Man, and like I remember when I first saw that, for one you hear the story, and in your mind you always wonder, man, what did that look like? What happened? Y'all were like, Oh, here it is. You yeah. know, like Man, we pushed him out of the hospital against 
a lot of people will, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, and, and took our picture, you know. But, you know, he wasn't in, wasn't like on uh, life support. Right, right. Like that, you know. He and was, he wasn't in danger. No. Nah. And he, he agreed to it. And, and in the book you said he, you told Willie D and Scarface, get dressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we 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 about to shoot this. So yeah. so they come, they 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 get dressed, and from that album, man, we get uh, mind playing tricks on me. Yeah, which is like still today one of the biggest hip hop records mm-hmm. in the world. Right. When they went into doing mind playing tricks on me, what was the backstory to that? Well, you know, the backstory was I remember driving home. Uh, like two or three in the morning, and my mind was playing tricks on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember having a conversation with Scarface because Scarface, you know, this was a solo song. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Originally, that we was gonna use for Scarface. And Scarface was every verse. This no, go- what? no, only only a piece. Okay, only a piece of it. And uh, you know, I convinced him. You know, I say we need this need to be a ghetto boy song. Right, but was was mind playing tricks on me? Was it a Scarface record at first with just him solo on every verse? No. Okay. No, okay. Just a piece of a song. Mm. You know, just a piece of a song that he and I, you know what I mean, evolved into the ghetto boy. Song. W- was he good with sharing it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I uh, I made him offer he couldn't refuse. I heard that. Yeah. When you did he write the entire. Mind playing tricks. Nah. Oh, okay. No. Nah. All right. When you knew that that song was taking off, and that the world was feeling that, how did you know? Was it was it radio? Was it video? Well, I remember testing. You know that song on a cassette tape mm-hmm. with a DJ by the name of Jimmy Olsen. Mm-hmm. Actually, I I gave him two songs to choose from. He chose "We Can't Be Stopped." I said, "No, I want to try this one." And when he played that song. You know, the ghetto boys' life changed. It seemed like overnight because the demand, the request lines, it, it blew up and it never stopped. How important was it for you to put Houston on the map? Very important. You know, I always believe home, you know, was the foundation of everything. So, you know, I uh, I fought hard for that to happen. Because we were, you know, we we see, like, of course, uh, the East had things on lock. Even being from the West, it was like, you know, it was hard to get in, hard hard to get respected. And and a lot of our early, you know, the pioneers didn't get as much accolades as, as, you know, some that we can bring, you know, bring the names up now. But we were, you know, we were getting on, too. So when you look, it's like, like, what about us over here? You know, and there wasn't a lot of there wasn't record labels out there that, that were the size of a ruthless priority or, or anything that, that was on the, that was on the, um, on, on the East coast. Yeah. You know, so what, what's the blueprint to making sure that we, people notice what's going on over here as well, besides just the hit records. Yeah. You know, I had like a, a real complex about, you know, the whole South Southern movement period, you know, because I felt like we were being discriminated mm-hmm. against, you mm-hmm. know, the people was making, fun of our accent, mm-hmm. our sound, you know, this went on, you know, for for a while. So I had like a real issue with it. And it began in Houston with uh, DJs that was from New York. Yeah. They were monopolizing our airways. They were monopolizing our clubs, our sound, our movement. So uh, I had to do something about that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to do something about it. And then I was able to influence others to follow my movement. 
and they done some about it, you know, state by state. Right. And and but it was pretty much where with it being monopolized by East Coast DJs, it was pretty much pack up and go back home. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah they definitely had to Yeah, he definitely around. tried to make that sound like he was just like, <laughs> he definitely tried to make it sound like he just played my record. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and if you guys read the book, you'll see a couple of these conversations. Yeah. That, you know, like, I'm just, I'm not going to put too much on it, but just read the Brian Turner uh, from Priority part of, um, of the book as well when you guys get it in your hands. The book is The Art and Science of Respect. There's one part in here, man, where it says fortune favors the bold. So never be afraid to stick your neck out on your own behalf. How true is that? Oh, very true. You know what I mean? It all begins with a dream. You know what I mean? I always say I feel sorry for a man that that doesn't dream because it was my dream that caused, you know, everything to happen for me. You know, I dreamed it first and then I executed, you know, my faith. And different things that I believed in, and that's how it all came to fruition. Did you ever want to rap? No, no, I, I actually rapped, but I right. never wanted to be a rapper. Really though, you know, I spit some lyrics on "Damn It Feels Good" right, right. Gangsta. No, but when you would see things taking off, right? Why you never sat on the sidelines like, "Damn, boy, I sure could have." No, you know, I was I was comfortable in my skin in the position I was in, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because I had a trained mind of of being under the radar. Mm-hmm. So I never wanted that fame that came along with being an artist. What's your longevity? Man, my longevity. What's my longevity? Joy, peace, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what do you think about. kept you here this long? And, I mean, we're going to skip through it, but when we think about rap a lot, Drake, Floyd Mayweather, just the boxing, all all the staples. What do you think that longevity is? Respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why I named my my book The Art and Science of Respect. I think uh, that's the foundation that I stand on, and I think I I get it because I I gave it. Yeah, you know what I mean. And I try to wrap it around being humble with humility, and just having a word. And even people that didn't have a direct dealing with with rap a lot, a lot of people still either come to you for advice, a word, whatever it is, and, and that could be from you know UGK, Pimp, Pimp C, Bun B, uh, Master P. You know what I'm saying? Like there's all you've always been kind of a voice to people. You know why why lend that much wisdom? to those that, you know, either you could make something or you couldn't make something off of them. Yeah, I believe in uh, too much given, much is uh, required. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I mean? It's it's like uh, I, I feel it's, a, it's something, a lifestyle with me. I enjoy it, you know what I mean? It brings joy to me to be able to share wisdom, to be able to give back. Mm-hmm. So it's in my heart, it's in my spirit, my soul. Can you explain when you were ready to buy your first ranch, when you were ready to put everything into it. You had been looking for this place, man, and you were ready to buy it. And what happened? Yeah, actually, that was my second ranch. The second ranch. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, because the other one was was a little bit smaller to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to you. I yeah. went from 30 acres yeah, to 30 acres. acres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the 30 acres wasn't enough. Upgrade. You know what I'm saying? Tiny Come to my house. You'd be like, Big, you really live here? <laughs> I mean, I need to negotiate your contract, <laughs> you know. But, yeah. yeah, so when you went from, from the 30 acre, you found you were looking at the one yeah. and there was a detour. Yeah, yeah, I had been looking at that land. You know, I couldn't afford it, and I had been 
kind of looking at it, just kind of claiming it because I uh, was looking for another ranch uh, for a few months with this lady, real estate lady. And, you know, I, I told her, I said, I want the, the biggest, nicest ranch that's close to Houston. And I don't care what it costs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I want that ranch. And she would take me everywhere but that place. Except and and yeah. finally, you know, I asked her one day, I said, will you just show me how a nice ranch look the size I want? And we drove to that place, and that's the ranch I ended up getting. But prior to that, um, taking that ride, I was invited. You know, I used to go to Bible study. Me and like 60, 70 other homies would just go in and flood the church on Bible study nights on Tuesdays. And everybody just stared at us because we coming there, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, of course. And, um, you know, yeah, me and the pastor, we had uh, kind of established a, a pretty strong relationship. And he invited me to a meeting uh, that he was having with some of the deacons and different people in the church about the blueprint on the building, the new church that they was uh, building. It's called the Church Without Walls. Um, so anyway, I went in the meeting and I'm observing you know, it's two phases of building this this church. Mm-hmm. One was the first floor, the other one was the second floor. And the first floor was like a gymnasium situation. The second floor was for the kids and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So as I was looking and listening uh, to the conversation, so I asked the question. I say, well, why not build a whole church? Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you know, it got quiet in there, right? They said, well, you know, that's easy for you to say, but we don't have the money to build a whole church. I say, well, you know, how much does it cost to build a whole thing? He said, a million dollars. We short a million dollars. So, you know, I then, you know, the spirit was on me. I said, well, let's build a whole church. And it got quiet in there because he the only one really believed me mm-hmm. because he the only one knew me. And uh, he said, hold up, wait a minute. Yeah, I don't think y'all heard what was just said. He said, build the whole church. And at that point, he explained to them that I was serious about what I said, and they started rejoicing. And what I had just done was gave my million dollars that I had for the, my ranch yeah. away. Aww. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> my mouth three, where you like, wow. ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely wasn't the plan when I went in that meeting. It wasn't premeditated. Man, so you you take the million and instead of getting what you've been looking for, what you've been working for, you take that million and you give it to the church to build their church. Right. And what happens full circle? Well, a few months after, I end up doing one of the biggest deals that I had done in the music industry with Virgin Records. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, it came back tenfold mm-hmm. or twenty-fold, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I wasn't only able to uh, put a down payment on that ranch; I was able to buy it. Yeah, you know that's I mean? crazy, beautiful. man. Yeah. And that's a thousand that so beautiful. acres, yeah, a thousand plus acres. Good lord! And what Huge. is it called now? Princess State. As it should be. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna man. Make sure you get the satellite view of it. And I do want to fast forward a little bit to. When we started kind of visualizing what this East Coast, West Coast beef was, we see that things are just just kind of going crazy. And you've always been on the outskirts of anything. Now, when you seen the East Coast, West Coast beef going on, what was your take as what you were witnessing at the time before it got so crazy? Well, I was witnessing like a lot of confusion Mm -hmm. and and I really didn't. uh, 
know the details on which who was right or who was wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? So I was on the outside looking in, just kind of front row, just watching the. Do you tell any of your comrades or anybody that you got a, a, a hand over or a hand with in Houston, like, do you also calm them and say, man, we not in this, don't say anything? Yeah, well, you know, I, I believe it's a time and a place for everything. And if the time is appropriate, then I will speak. If it's not, you know, I sit back and mm-hmm. observe. What was your relationship with Pac, Biggie, Puff? What was your relationship with them? I consider all of them uh, associates, you know what I mean? Me and Pac, I had saw Pac, uh, what, a week before he he uh, uh, got killed, mm-hmm. you know, and he wanted me to go out with him and Suge that night. But uh, my father had just came home, so I'm like, man, I got to get back home. The old man just touching down. And me and Puffy, we always been cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else did you mention? Biggie. Oh, Biggie. Me and Biggie was cool as well, you know what I mean? In my book, I wrote about uh, when I turned my bus around to come back and speak with Puffy and Big about what I felt, you know, the danger of being in L.A. Because mm-hmm. you know they were hypnotized in L.A. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I really, you know what I mean, it's almost like, you know, it was, it was on my spirit heavy. And I'm like, hey, man. You know, this this ain't cool. You know what I mean? I, talk, I talked to Puff separately. Then I went on the bus and I spoke with Big as well. You know what I mean? Just to let them know, be careful. This ain't this ain't cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did they say then? Well, they felt like they were, you know, going to do the video. And I don't think uh, Puff or Big really, like, understood the depth mm-hmm. of, you know, the L.A. streets. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, you know, sometimes, you know, our IQ where streets are concerned, you know, go to a certain floor on the elevator. And, you know, I, I don't think they really understood how serious that could be. So when you do hear that that Biggie got killed in Los Angeles, where were you at when you heard that information? Do you remember? Yeah, I was in Houston. I was in Houston and, uh, you know, it, it was sad, but I wasn't surprised, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, because I, I kind of sensed the danger and, you know, uh, I wish things would have happened differently. And when we look at before Pac passed, I know you said y'all were going to have, y'all were going to, you know, have a go out a week beforehand. Did you have any more dialogue with Tupac before the, he, he passed and be prior to that week as well? No, no, I hadn't I hadn't spoke with Pac prior to that week. Mm-hmm. Of course, we crossed, you know, one another paths so many times before then, but I hadn't spoke with him. Were you were you concerned about or for him as well? Oh yeah. Yeah, most definitely. You know, uh <laughs> you know, after Pac had got shot and hit the way he got hit, that was a concern of mine and I knew and felt, you know, what would follow after you know, the acquisitions mm-hmm. and different things that transpired. When, in your book, you were also saying that at one point there was a a conversation that you were going to have with, like, Suge Knight and with, with Puff. Yeah. And you kind of thought, like, okay, I'll, I'll see if there's, you know, some dialogue here. Yeah. And w- where was your mindset on on that and why that did not happen? Yeah, well, actually, you know, Jimmy Henchman and Puff mm. came down to Houston and we had a conversation 
And, uh, you know, I was kind of interested in, you know, knowing what had took place before I mediated or spoke on a situation. And uh, during that meeting, I didn't get the clarity mm-hmm. that uh, I felt I needed to put my credibility on the line to speak, you know, to be in the middle of it. And, uh, you know, I expressed to them that, you know what I mean, I couldn't I couldn't speak on that with all the confusion mm-hmm. and different messages in there. So it's it's easier to just say, you know what, I, I gotta walk away from this one. Yeah, definitely if I can't if I can't speak uh in a manner, you know, where I like I'm comfortable, mm-hmm. my reputation on the line, then, you know, things can get ugly mm-hmm. <laughs> right there in the meeting. Yeah. So, oh yeah, hell yeah. yeah. All I, right. I at least wanna know I'm standing on solid ground. I hear you. Jay Prince, I wanna ask you, what is your relationship with Drake, how did how did that happen early on? Well, Drake was uh, uh, brought to me by my son, Jazz Prince. Mm-hmm. Of course, my son was on tour with Lil Wayne, and you know I called him. I say, "Hey, I don't want you just hanging out there with these guys and coming home broke. Hmm. You know what I mean? Go to Lil Wayne and explain to him that you want to do your own record label, see if he want to do a partnership deal with you. Let him know you got a million plus for your own thing." And at that point, I asked him, I said, well, who's going to be your first artist? And he mentioned this kid named Drake. I said, okay, well, let me hear him. So he played some of Drake for me. What was your first initial reaction? I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, wait a minute, man. You like this? I'm like, this dude's singing all over the place. <laughs> I'm like, hold up, man. You, you like, daddy, trust me. This is the new sound. This, this is the new sound. So I'm looking at him, right? I try to discourage him again. At any point, do you think, like, damn, my son's radar is off. Yeah. He don't have my the, radar. The whole while I was thinking that. So I'm like, uh, why this dude here? He said he's buzzing. So all his life, you know, he listened to me on marketing calls, stressed the importance of a buzz since he was, like, seven, eight years old. And at that point, you know, I tell everybody my ears stuck up when like he a said, German shepherd. I say, he buzzing? He said, yeah. I said, where? He said, Canada. My ears went down. <laughs> so I'm done. I, I, I called some of the homies in Canada to check, you know, to confirm if this was a real buzz or not. And at that point, you know, they, you know, confirmed that this dude is real. So I got behind him, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't really believing it. Mm-hmm. I got behind him because he was like so convinced that this is the next thing. He was right. Now he he definitely was right. Yeah. Now how does Drake being with with your son and being in Canada, how does the whole young money thing get together where where Drake is is he was like it, it seemed like it got a little muddy or am I on the outside looking in? Yeah, well, of course it it got a little muddy, you know what I mean? It got a little muddy because of uh you know People not doing business properly. Mm-hmm. And I can't blame young money. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? We have to go to cash money mm-hmm. on that. You know what I mean? They didn't handle their business properly. But, you know, as I sit here today, I'm having conversations with those in the universal biz- building that's, you know, in high places. And uh, we're moving forward on a good note, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, all on cash money, and, you know, them are what I consider the homies. You right, know what I yeah. Mean? Cash money, Master P, you know, Tony Draper, mm-hmm. you know, all of these guys, you know, I inspired. You know, they were my students of the game. They inspired me. So to be in a position, 
you know what I mean, that's business in this matter is not comfortable to me, but by the same token, business has to be taken care of. Is there anything that says Drake rap a lot or anything with your son, anything that's, that's officially on paper? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. We are we are key partner on that, mm-hmm. you know, as, right. you, as you can recall some of the uh, first albums, mm-hmm. you know, executive producers and everything like that. But, yeah, we are, we in there, and we in there strong. Where Where's your relationship? Of course, we know your relationship with Drake is extremely strong now, which was, you know, we, we had a chance to see that within the last, you know, 30 days when, you know, all the disc records came out. And you were in a position where you felt like Drake had a knockout blow for Pusha T and Kanye. Yeah, yeah, more like a a, a career-ending blow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Definitely for the homie uh, Kanye, which, you know, we're not often to, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, uh, affecting one's livelihood right. like that. And that was the only place to go, you know, after getting so personal and crossing these different lines where music was concerned. So, of course, you know what I mean, I, I have pretty good thinking ability. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to come in and say, hey, man, we ain't going to go there. Did you hear Pusha T's, um, the story of Adidon? Did you hear that, or, this, or did Drake or somebody bring that to your attention? Were, were, were you listening to any of that early? Yeah, I heard the song. What you bothered know? you the most? Well, the pieces that bothered me the most was the disrespect for his mother, mm-hmm. the disrespect for his father, and then it went on to a man that's dying, you know what I mean, with an illness. You know, that's crossing the line where music is concerned. I love a good battle, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? You just kept it, you know, between me and you, you know, that's that's cool. But to go to that extreme, yeah, that bothered me. Did you ever get a chance to talk with, with Push? I know you talk with, with you spoke with Kanye. Yeah. Of course, you spoke with Drake. Did you ever get a chance to speak with Pusha T as well? No, I never had that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And your conversation without giving up, you because I saw that Kanye put out something, we're paraphrasing that, you know, he was never into beef, the beef is over, so on and so forth. Was that a part of your conversation with him? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Kanye is, is like, super cool with Mike Dean. Mm-hmm. Mike Dean come from Houston. Mm-hmm. He come from my camp, you know what I mean? So I got a call from Kanye, and Kanye, you know, he told me, I'm a family man, you know what I mean? I don't I don't want this. So I considered all of that, you know what I mean, my decision-making, and, you know, it was the right decision to make. Do you call Drake, or does Drake call you, or do you summons him to the ranch? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, we, me and Drake talk a lot, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it was a conversation where, you know, after I analyzed everything, I called him. I mm-hmm. initiated it. And uh, he wasn't trying to hear it no, in the I can beginning, imagine. but, you know, eventually he has enough respect for me where that overpowered his will, and here we are. How did you guys get into the conversation of what he had that was still in note form? Because if you guys were on the phone, were you like, well, what you got? What yeah. are you going to say? Yeah. Well, the thing is, I'm I'm with Drake, right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm with a person, then, you know, when it's wartime, then I'm going to be on the battlefield or mm-hmm. involved to a certain extent as well. And, you know, when you have that kind of access, you communicate. You know what I mean? And things was communicated to me that was uh, <laughs> too raw. 
Mm-hmm. Will yeah. he say something on this upcoming album, you think, or do you think he'll hold back? Yeah. No, I, I think he's going to hold back. You know what I mean? He's not going to deal with that because uh, I never I never witnessed him giving, giving me his word about something and doing something opposite. What about, like, the recent promos? Um, one went out that said, Fashion Week is more your thing than mine, and a lot of people are saying that those are shots at Kanye. Kanye had just been at Fashion Week, and we all know that he's he attends that pretty often. Yeah, I mean, people going to try to uh, stir things, you know what I mean? It's in their nature. So uh, my grandmother, great-grandmother, 114 years old, gave me some game like years ago. What'd she said, she people are going to say what they want to say. She said, you just don't let it be so. I heard so, that. Yeah, I I've like been that. trying to live that right. kind of <laughs> <laughs> And without the... I'm, I mean, there's got to be probably a couple things just as a man that he he's going to say without saying every, all the ingredients. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like uh, you know, but one thing I could say is the conversation that you did have with Drake, I totally believe that he had something. Yeah. And I totally believe he tucked that away because Jay Prince was on the phone with him. And now that we fast forward to where we're sitting at today, a lot of that is already in the wind. You know what I'm saying? And if we would have gotten into, as you say, you know, the pig pen and, you know, it would have just been a horrible tennis match that yeah. we were all waiting to sit back and just just watch these brothers take each other apart. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. You know what I mean? Uh, somebody with some sense have to speak sometimes when you see – a biggie in a Tupac situation brawling mm-hmm. all over again. You know what I mean? Because when you cross those lines, that's where it go. You know what I mean? Eventually, we're going to run into one another. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Things, your friends, yeah. our friends, it's, it's going to get ugly somewhere down the line. So, you know, unplugging it was the right thing to do. When was your last conversation with Drake? What a few days ago. Do you have to nod back to him? Like, remember? <laughs> no, no. All right. No, we're looking forward to uh, this album. Scorpion. I heard Did you that. hear it already? Obviously. Some of it. You got Some it in your it. phone? Is it a no. double album? Oh, okay. No, A and B. That's what you hear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right, right. You got it in your phone, huh? Go ahead and play one for us. You got anything I can take and bootleg in Japan? No. All right. Give us something a little early. Come on. All right. Look me in the eyes, Jay Prince, and tell me you don't have it on you. I don't. Not one song. Not one. She got it, huh? <laughs> right. Can I dance to it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's what's one of the titles that God's we can come plan. <laughs> Okay, I see where you're going. Oh, you're right. Boy, I see you going, man. God's plan. <laughs> you do that sarcasm again, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to slap him. All right? <laughs> I'm going to slap the homie over there. James, I'm low-key hating on you right now. That's okay. Like, low-key, but low-key, but like, out of love. Yeah. But just, just. These villas are huge, first of all, and there's solar panels on them. Yeah, that's when. Like, yeah. All righty. Yeah. Well, I know okay. I'm vacationing there. And there's jet skis here. There's no horses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something's in the water already. Yeah. All righty. Well, that's cool, brother. You know what I'm saying? Over well, here we on this. Uh, stay in belief. Yeah, over here on this hard work, <laughs> dedication. You know what I'm saying? Two islands. Yeah, there's two islands. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. I'm done with that. Okay, there's Belize, but there's two islands in Belize, right? Right. All right. Cracking now. <laughs> Big, All right, well, we, you know, we're going we to get you. We got to go yeah. to the ranch. Um, <laughs> I've heard go. enough. We're going to so get you I, out of here, bro. I definitely want to thank you for coming into the neighborhood. The art and science of respect. Jay Prince, Mr. James Prince in the neighborhood, man. It was a pleasure 
to have you in the neighborhood, bro. Yeah, and very, very man. motivating, man. Yeah, very you. motivating. And please make sure you come back. Hey, Alrighty. Yeah. Big boys neighborhood. Big boy.